My warmest greetings to the people of my beloved Wales, and a special hello to the miners of South Wales. Hello, welcome to the Red Panic Radio podcast. Red yeah, Panic um, Radio. That sounds right, doesn't it? Yeah, we just came up with it, but I think it's six. It is an established name oh, we've yeah. had for, for many months, many years. <laughs> Not a spirit. It's the dawn of the time. <laughs> we are members of the Welsh Underground Network. And Repeater Radio has very kindly asked, would we do a series where we talk about our experiences in the Welsh Underground Network, which is a Marxist organisation advocating and agitating for a socialist Welsh Republic. Our sort of anecdotes, stories, guests, talks, things like that. And yeah, just generally sort of... uh, I don't know, we're asking you over the internet, I guess. And and chatting shit. Truth be told. We're all itching to go. We're all super excited. We've definitely not put this off for a couple of weeks. Uh, so I would like to introduce you to our gang who will be doing this for this episode. My name is Joe. I am the current chair of the Welsh Underground Network. If everyone else is happy to introduce themselves. Right, um, I'm Tad. I'm the chair of the Valleys branch of the Welsh Underground Network. Um, I'm Pippin. I'm the social media officer for the Valleys branch of the Welsh Underground Network. So yeah, this episode, our first episode, is just going to be talking a little bit about the Welsh Underground Network, how we're set up and our aims, then generally sort of uh, stories from our organising, uh, lessons, experiences, what we do differently next time, and just general, uh, general shit talking. I'll be honest with you for the next forty minutes. So, yeah, sit back and enjoy. So, yeah, sure. yeah, take us back. Way way back. Yeah. Way back. Easy, the easy days. Oh. <laughs> Pre pre COVID. <laughs> yeah. Oh fucking hell. Honestly, I, <laughs> I wish it was some like romantic story, like you know, we were fucking toiling away in the in the mines. No, I was literally, <laughs> truthfully, it was me being pissed at the side of a river in in Exeter in, in Devon. I had been out with uh, I'd been out with a couple of friends earlier on that day, and um. You know what, I'll actually, I'm going to bore you to tears. I'm going to start way back when. So, in my third year of uni, um, I started... Well, I thought you were going to say when you were born, like... When I was, when I was born, all those many years ago. I, I um, slid out the womb and... Uh... <laughs> Red flag in my hands. Right my way out. My parents met when they were in university. <laughs> it was a warm summer's day. In the zone in Merthyr in 1996, when, <laughs> when my parents bumped into each other on the dance floor, in Corona Rhythm of the Night was playing. Um, <laughs> no, um, 
I was in my third year of uni and I was lurking about in Cornwall at the time. And my lecturer was one of the biggest Nebian Kuno supporters of the Cornish Nationalist Party. Big, big, yeah. big into them. Huge into them. Uh, and through that, I started getting a bit of, uh, I don't know, a bit of um, being, being one of the few Welsh people in my uni. Um, as I've said to most of you, God knows how many times, there were more furies on my campus than there were people from Wales, which uh, was really fucking, yeah, interesting. Very interesting. You chose that university. You have no sympathy from me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, no. you made yourself you made yourself a minority. You were like, <laughs> no, actually, I tell you what, I technically didn't actually. I'll fucking have you know. I um, it was literally a choice I made on the toilet. Funnily enough, um, I I I I applied for Exodus main campus, and um. I ended up not getting the grades I want. I like I thought I I, I needed for Exeter, so I, I wake up the morning results day and I'm like, oh, you know, I'm tired and groggy. I rush over to my laptop and I check UCAS. Usually I just go straight to college and get my results. But I was like, you know what? I just want to check my uni place. I log in. I see, oh, you got an offer from University of Exeter. Cool. Click that. It's like, yeah, congratulations, you got an offer. I'm like, yeah, accept, 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 accept. Didn't even want to fucking check my results. I'm like, okay, I've got a place, class. I walk down to college and I get my results and I'm like, ah, okay. This isn't what I thought they'd be. Like, they're fine, but it isn't like exactly where they were supposed to be for Exeter. I'm like, ah, you know, whatever. Maybe they're just like me. Whatever, cool. And I'm walking back home and I get a ping through my phone. And I look and it's an email. It's like, congratulations on accepting your place at the University of Exeter's Cornwall campus. And like, about fucking like nine thoughts like smash into my head because I had deliberately not applied to a couple of unis after me and my dad had like a really like nice heart to heart. And he was like, listen, you know, if you apply to, uh, I think it's like Manchester was when I was looking at, he's like, listen, go to Manchester. But I'll just let you know that it's so far away. It's like seven hours away, six hours away in the car from where we are, you know. It's ages to come back. And on the train, it costs like 70 or 80 quid. Just want to let you know. And I'm like, yeah, okay, you know what? That's fair enough. I'll apply for Exeter. Fucking Cornwall is like seven hours away in the car and like 80 odd quid by train. I'm like, oh, fuck. Secondly, I joined loads of like Facebook groups and like, you know, meet potential new flatmate groups and shit like that. I'm like, oh man, I'm gonna have to fucking leave all of them. Um, I phoned my mother, I'm like, hey, so you know I accepted a place in, in Exeter, yeah? Um, it's actually in Cornwall. And she, she, starts, <laughs> like, she starts like crying on the phone. <laughs> Crying. <laughs> Just the thought of Cornwell. I didn't yeah. raise you to go to Falmouth. <laughs> <laughs> um, you abandoned this boy. <laughs> Same on this family. But I basically come back and like, you know oh, what, I'm gonna go to my second choice uni, which is in London. Yeah. And then I'm like, you know what, I need to relax. I run a bath and I go to the toilet and I'm, I'm there. And I'm on my phone, I'm like, oh you know what, let's have a look and see what Falmouth's actually like. I click, I go on YouTube and I find like this like tourist video and I click on it, it comes up and it's Falmouth. And it's fucking so nice. It has like seagulls and goats and like little castles and things like that. And I was like, Wait, yeah. Seriously? Yeah, I know. Crazy, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the seagulls turned out to be cunts, but uh, you know. Yeah, so I decided to go. Um, but yeah, by my third year of uni, only one of the like, few Welsh people there, um, I started getting into Welsh nationalism quite a bit. And with like the lecturer, a spouse in Cornish nationalism all the time. I was like, you know what, yeah, I, I sort of see what he means. Um, and yeah, it was sort of like an underdog sort of thing, wasn't it? 
but I, I wasn't as socialist as I am now. So I was uh, I was into Welsh nationalism, but the socialism was very so baby steps. So I did what anyone would do, um, being away from home for a while and wanted to get involved in politics. Um, you know, I set up a stupid fucking shit posty meme page on Facebook and uh did that and ended up running this meme, fiery Welsh memes, if anyone uh, if anyone's listening and I, uh, I follow that for years without even fucking realizing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah man. Back back in the day, um set up fiery Welsh memes and run that meme page for a while. But then by the time I was doing my masters, um, you know, it's like memes are all fun and good, but I just felt like really like, you know, I just want to do something, yeah? And you've seen all these groups and people do things and it makes you want to get up and get active. And especially coming from an area like, uh, like where we all come from, you know, um, people talk the talk, but in terms of actually practically going up and doing things, they don't. And our area suffer. And for all this talk of, you know, the marvels the Welsh independence could bring, or the marvels the socialism could bring, or whatever, you know, it is all just fucking online echo chamber talk. There's nothing on the actual ground, nothing. Or very it's few all things. Like, it's all down the horizon as well, isn't it? It's like, yeah. oh yeah, let's get independence first, and then it, we'll get all these lovely things like trans rights and stuff, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, there's so many orgs that exist that are for Welsh independence, but we seem to be the only one who's like, explicitly Marxist as well, which I feel like is such a, a big component. Absolutely. You know, when, um, so I'd run this meme page for like, like two years, yeah? And there were a couple of times where I tried to get the meme pages involved in doing community work. And my, my sort of like aim was, you know, people think we're a bunch of shit posters who do nothing but rant to people on, online and make jokes. Why don't we actually do something that proves we, we can be taken a bit more seriously? But yeah, I set that up and for all the good intentions in the world. Um, I think it was only like two of us who ended up actually doing shit, you know. So it just it was around that time as well, people were getting quite toxic on Twitter and Facebook and shit like that. And you know, you've all seen the the independent supporters, um, in my honest opinion, from both the sort of political wings from people on the right, the extreme white right wing. We're just going up and say, saying things like, you know, trans people shouldn't exist in an independent Wales. Um, to people on, you know, on the so-called left who are like, uh, oh, so you don't support the EU? Fucking Nazi, kill yourself. And it was around <laughs> that time as well, that it was all, like around that time that, that um, I started getting a bit cold feet, it was around the time of the EU referendum. Long story short, I don't want to ramble about it. I, I got pissed by a river in Exeter and I thought to myself, you know what? I really want to set something up so that when I leave uni, I can actually get my hands dirty and get involved in shit rather than just bitching about it online. And around that time, I saw I was working uh, two, a couple of shitty jobs in, in Exeter to pay for my, uh, my rent and my flat because the tuition loans were so terrible. I worked as a cleaner in a nightclub and then as a bar back in a cocktail bar making fucking syrups for the cocktails. <laughs> And uh, the I tell you what, I can see it now because the, the cocktail bars are out of business now. I, I loved it, but fuck me, it was it was a bit like um very vaguely torturous in the fact that it was literally it was a one room cocktail bar. 
attached to like an old fucking boating house in Exeter on the key front. One room, it could fit maybe a max of like 40 people. Except for one other room, so I tell you, it was one room for the general bar and shit like that. Or obviously a toilet. And then one tiny room behind the bar. No windows, no ventilation. Only one exit, which was the, the only entrance. Um, where I had to work with like an oven and a hot plate. Uh, and shit like that. In like a fucking, like... I don't, I, don't know, like, I don't know, like, square feet, but I know it was tiny enough that I couldn't, like, sw- I couldn't sort of cart in there easily. Um, but I was there, like, fucking, like, grating limes and boiling syrups and sugar and shit like that to make, uh, make cola syrup or, you know, um, uh, kefir lime and sherbet and shit like that. Wow. And it was lovely. I used to drink from the syrups all the time. I mean, I poured them for a glass first. It wasn't, like, an hygiene. But I'd, I'd, like, have, like, my coffee and then I'd pour, like, uh, like lemonade syrup into it. Maybe like jittering for the rest of the night, um, but but yeah, working those jobs for really, really, really poor wages, um, in really shit conditions. I mean, in the nightclub job, birds broke through the ceiling one night, and shit all over the cups and uh, the the drinks, and our boss made us open it up that night while we were still cleaning it all up, so we had to cordon off a section of the of the the, the nightclub, which was pouring with water and bird shit. But people danced around it while we were frantically washing plastic cups, um, getting all the bird shit off, and then serving people drinks in them. You know, oh. it was it was a prime example of why a union is needed for for shit like that. That reminds, that reminds me of when I was working in a pub in Mountain Ash um, a couple of years ago. It was a bank holiday, and it was absolutely packed, and the floor came through, like um, fell through, in one of the like corners. And they basically just put a bunch of chairs around it and then was like, just carry on. Name <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and shame. Go for it. I know. Okay, like, you could literally like go to the cellar. Just no, from you, there, like, completely. You, na- you name and shame them. Go for it. It's the new inn in Mountain Ash. Oh. oh. Bastards. Stay clear, boys. Unit one night club in Exeter and Dr. Rink's Curiosities. At Exeter, Exeter Keyfront. Name and shame. Mm. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, the, the conditions that these like low paid uh, hospitality, um, especially things like nightclubs and bars, where it's mainly like, you know, students or people like 16 to 18 working there for a part time job, you know, the conditions you have to go through is fucking dire. Um, yeah, it's like that like spurred me on. Um, massively, massively. Um, some posh English guy smacked me in the face with a uh, a wet floor sign, trying to break up a fight in one of my last shifts there. Maybe for like the equivalent, I think it was of like, I think I got something really stupid. Like, oh, I can't even remember, but I know it was. I know my rent at that time. Was still like quite cheap. It was well, I think it was quite cheap. It was like three hundred and seventy a month because I was sharing with people, and I worked quite a lot in that nightclub. I worked probably every night. I didn't have enough to cover the rent. It's like oh fucking hell. Yeah. yeah, my experience working in the pub was definitely like a, a radicalizing one as well because I was like, I, I worked kind of six months and then took six months off for my A levels and then did six months after I finished my A levels. 
um and it was like yeah both in terms of of like radicalizing workplace communism stuff but also just like the way that men treated me when I was working in a pub when I was like barely 18 um you know I was already a feminist but it was just like <laughs> I don't want equality anymore I want revenge uh, <laughs> 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 yeah working in like working in um hospitality or like pubs and bars when you're a young person I think definitely can have a huge impact on like how you view the world and your ideology and stuff I, I think it like it's like a glass lens it just kind of inverts and then you suddenly like you're not human anymore you know what I mean you go you put on like the wow. uniform and then you see it from the other side for the first time in your life and how other people will just treat you just like this thing <laughs> I don't know absolutely yeah I mean, what what are you were like worst job experiences, or worst experiences with customers? I mean, my worst experience with a customer in the pub was definitely the guy who, because I had long hair at the time and I had it in a ponytail. Um, the bar was like a little island in the middle, um, and so basically, you would be able to see anyone from any part of it. And this guy specifically snuck passed and went to the side of the bar where I was like leaning grabbed my ponytail um pulled my head down so that he could whisper in my ear and was like I'd like a pint of course please love um and I just Get had to start it, like out. work the rest of the night and everything and that's atrocious yeah. probably the worst one he <laughs> didn't get kicked out or anything like that oh please no i had to serve him and i had to serve him the rest of the night as well <laughs> that was just wow. run of the mill <laughs> I, was I was i was proper lucky coming out of uni i managed to like nab a, like a barista job so i just kind of worked in coffee shops for pretty fucking shit paying for like you know work until midnight and then working at 6 a.m the next day but it was like you know i was very happy not to be doing bars like the worst i had to deal with really was just like you know People aren't being served in fucking coffee shops, really. But like, we didn't like wine nights after like six p.m. in like fucking pot canner. <laughs> so you can imagine, you know, oh, just seeing hell. that was a radicalization. It's <laughs> 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 chilled customers, I assume. Oh yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah. Cream of the crop. Oh fucking hell! Uh, you know, the top of that pyramid, they deserve to be up there. You know what I mean? <laughs> Oh, I'm saying Poncana is like the top of this conspiracy fucking... <laughs> no, it is. It absolutely yeah, it is, is fucking yeah, yeah. Poncana. Yeah. <laughs> did they, well, did the they bring their own cheese for the wine night? Oh, you know what? To be fair, they might have, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Once or twice. Like, what you said about it, you know, it gives you a different perspective on stuff. I think that's so true because, yeah, for the first time in your life, you're not the customer. You're the the third person and the complete like dehumanization that you experience in that of course it's radicalizing of course it's going to make you see you know everything that's wrong with this system that like you're conditioned to treat people who are serving you who are you know doing things for you so badly it definitely yeah gives you a real insight into how the system works i think that should definitely be the new uh oh shit what's it called you know like military and stuff i'm trying to think what the word is you know, like service where you have to go into the military and shit. Oh yeah, like, you can edit, edit this out. Okay, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that, 
that should that should be the new conscription, like it's like <laughs> getting middle-aged people to do fucking bar work and shit. Oh my god. Every has to do a year. <laughs> oh Jesus Christ, the amount of fucking Vietnam PTSD fucking uh, <laughs> stress nightmares because of that. Honestly. You were there, man. <laughs> I can walk out of the spoons like a thousand yards stay. <laughs> Every time you hear the fucking beep of the uh, of the till, it's got like instant flashbacks. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And a bloke tell me once that I ruined his Valentine's Day and storm out of uh, out of the. Pl- I see the restaurant. It wasn't. It was a wireless place. Um, <laughs> with his uh, with his girlfriend, um, calling me a cunt. Because I couldn't give him a discount on a chicken tikka masala. <laughs> <laughs> oh, to be fair, I do, I do that to you as well. Do you? And they say romance is dead. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, I deserved it. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, he took his girlfriend to Spoons on Valentine's Day for yeah. a chicken tikka masala that he wouldn't even pay full price oh. for. Hey, no, don't do Spoons. We did it lovely. We laid out like a red tablecloth and we, um, we had like fake electronic candles. <laughs> um, I did have a guy try to fight me one night actually it wasn't the worst experience but it was a surreal one because um, I, I didn't serve the guy because he was completely absolutely plastered he looked a bit like Nico from Grand Theft Auto 4 um, just without the be- like a baby face Nico and he came in super pissed wearing like no I tell you what he looked like he looked a little bit like Nico and Andrew Andrew Morris. If we know if we know him. This means nothing to me. Andrew, oh, Andrew what's his Morris. name? Andrew Bigsy Morris, is it? The rapper from South Wales? Oh that fucker. That yeah, guy, yeah, 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 yeah that's really. the one. Yeah, yeah. And and he came in and he had like a really like hype. I mean, I could have just been fucking misremembering this week, but he came in like a really like weirdly hype-ish voice. He was like, oh like, can I get a pint of but I get a bunch of cores. I'm like, oh man, I'm really sorry, but I can't say you. You know, you're a bit, you've, you've had a bit too much. Go out, get a coffee, and come back, and then maybe we can serve it. He's like, what, what do you fucking mean? Could I get a bunch of cores? I'm like, oh man, I'm, I'm really sorry, but I actually can't serve it. He's like, you fucking what? <laughs> and this is literally, this isn't even like late. This is about three o'clock on a Saturday, oh at three p.m. I'm like, man, I'm, I'm really sorry, but I can't serve you. He's like, what's his, fucking, what's, his, what's, his, what's his action plan there? Like, if I beat him up, you'll get me that drink. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, he fucking kicked shit into me. And then he's like, yeah, I'll take that course, thank you. Yeah, you go, sir, fuck it up. My fucking bone sticking out of the elbows. Like, yeah, there you go. Um, but he, Everyone he else needs to be too scared to kick him out. They'll just all be serving him pints. Yeah, for the rest and fucking bowed down. No, he says, um, he, um, he's like, he, he started like arguing. Um, and I think I start getting a bit arsy towards him, to be fair. Um, so I can't blame it all on him. I think he says something like, you know, I'm really going to give me the pint or not. And I, I'm sure I say something like, well, you go behind the bar and take it yourself if you wanted to, right? Um, and he's like, you think you're fucking funny, do you? Come out and fight me. I'm like, oh, mate, I'm sorry, I'm not going to fight you. He's like, no, come out and fucking fight me like a man, coward, pussy. Um, I'm like, mate, I'm sorry, but I'm not going to fight you. And then my manager comes out, who's like, like three years older than me, super, super short, Grayson name was, with glasses. 
And it was funny because she's like five foot two, tiny girl. But she was genuinely one of the most scary fucking people I've met because she is just so like no nonsense bullshit working in wireless phones. And she and she literally came out and the guy was like, I'm gonna fucking have you to me. And she's like, right, get out. Fucking get out now. Um, she calls the security and they take him. And then his friend came over and he's like, oh, listen, I'm really sorry, my friend. He's acting like a dickhead. I'm really sorry. Can you just let him in? And she's like, no, absolutely not. The fact, no, no, no way. He's like, listen, can you just leave him in, please? I'm asking you. She's like, no, he's not coming in. Sorry. He's like, oh, don't get a fucking temper tantrum because he's so short. And she just starts like screaming at him. Oh, he was, he was yeah. It's Brilliant. You cannot say that to a short person. It's guaranteed. Just explosion. <laughs> <laughs> like, anyone makes fun of me for being short, it's like a button that is just pushed. That annoys me. Like, <laughs> you're, not, you're not short, to be fair, though. I'm fine. Are you? Yeah, you met me. I know what. Oh, well, we didn't for- seem short when I, when I met you. For Welsh, that's like average height, isn't it? I mean, yeah. I mean yeah. that's okay. like big energy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what can I say? You exude such confidence that we just assume you're a couple foot taller. Yeah. Exactly. Like, <laughs> I'm, the, I'm the opposite. Everybody thinks I'm a major for some reason. I don't know why. Yeah, I fucking like seven foot. <laughs> <laughs> it is strange sort of meeting people after so many months of us organising on Zoom. Um, and meeting people and realising they have like more to them below their waist. You're a whole person. <laughs> what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What's your legs look like? What the fuck? I, I mean, for what? Tall, yeah. Super tall. Yeah. Because uh, I didn't want to be the only short person. At least I had Tad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll leave it, yeah. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, some of our other members, like Sparky and uh, and Mali, they aren't short by any means. No, no. They are gigantic oh. mountains of men. They're also, Eng- they're also English, though, to be fair. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> Can I just out them? Sorry, guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's the thing, you know, they took the fucking milk away from us as kids. And devoted it to, uh, to Swindon. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> They're all looming over there. <laughs> yeah, man, it's like fucking Norway in the Viking Age. You walk in there and it's fucking like eight foot men with fucking braids yeah. down to their fucking knees. Just sort of <laughs> lurching over the countryside. Yeah. I, I can walk between their legs, like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's weird chatting to people like, uh, like Sparky and Mali. Um, because there's clouds usually like going past their face. Can't really see that. <laughs> so, what's been both of you guys' um, sort of uh, most notable moments organising with us since you've been a member? I think probably the establishment of the branches. Because when I joined, it was still just Valleys Underground. And then because yeah, I can't exactly remember when I joined, but it was like a good few months ago. And it was all just like very, very like rapidly kind of growing and happening. Like quite a few people joined around the same time as me. Um, and then, yeah, not long afterwards, there was the the launch of the branches. And I just remember it being like really exciting because it was, mm. yeah, this feeling of like, you know, everyone wants, it, it was just this feeling of like 
so many people clearly want this want this to happen and, and want what this you know stands for so yeah yeah it's really interesting just like yeah because you could be in such like such a little southeast kind of bubble can't you you know what i mean so many people haven't gone north of penavan or something <laughs> like and then suddenly you're talking to these people from Wrexham and they have completely different accents and a completely different culture but similar in so many ways and just admit, like they're a bunch of nutters up there and it was amazing like <laughs> yeah. speaking with them I'm just taking back. Often, yeah. Sorry. I think too often like representation of Wales is is purely based in the south. And I think yeah, what you said like there's definitely a bubble that we can have down here where we don't really understand the experiences in, in North Wales and like how they're similar but how they're different as well. So there's definitely mm. a... I'm just amazed that there's more uh there's actual, you know, there's north of Penavan to be quite honest with you. <laughs> I thought that's where the sea started. Isn't, <laughs> isn't it just I mean, angled after that? When whenever <laughs> I've seen whenever I've seen maps, it's just been like here be dragons. <laughs> and it's like a fucking like the edge of the map. It's a Welsh <laughs> to be fair, I'd say that was like probably my radicalization process was just traveling. Because like until like you know, I went to Union Cardiff and I didn't really travel much, you know, I, I didn't really I stay in my little bubble like you know what I mean and suddenly in my late 20s I was going to like North Wales and West Wales and seeing all these different like you said experiences and these different people and the culture there and how it was similar to mine and different and like going to England and being like just seeing English towns and cities and being like this is fucking nice these are nice fucking places right here and we're like going back home it's like oh this is a pile of shit <laughs> why is it like this and putting the two and two together you know what I mean it's funny you say that um yeah. me and pagan said something recently um trains in the north of england are quite similar to how they are in wales um mm. and we both had a similar experience of not really realizing how bad the trains in wales were until we saw people in the north of england complaining about their trains <laughs> and we were like oh are they bad are they um <laughs> you know could they be better didn't know that um <laughs> 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 yeah yeah actually i think the biggest catalyst like it, it wasn't the biggest but it was one of them was like going to cambridge for the first time and just like that that's like appalling levels of wealth right there you know i mean like illegal levels where like there's just limousines going around everywhere and people in actual top hats and shit like that you just want to kind of fucking wedgie the entire town you know what i mean yeah so like I had a similar thing because I went to Cambridge to visit one of my friends and she worked in the kitchens at the uni. Um, so I went to visit her and I like kind of saw inside like, you know, the bit where the kitchen was and then the bit just outside it that was so much fancier where all the students were. It was, yeah, it was just really jarring. I went to visit my, uh, my first girlfriend. I went to visit her family in Poland. She was in Poland. And I remember getting a train from, uh, from Krakow the Tarno, which is this tiny little town on the literal like the border between uh between Poland and Austria, I think. And like before I went, I probably never really visited Poland. So I'd always missed like these like fucking ideas and misconceptions in my head of what Poland's gonna be like. I thought it was all gonna be, you know, brutalist tower blocks, permanently fucking cold. <laughs> and I think like like you said, Tad, you know, travel opens your horizons. It fucking smacked me in the face like a wet fish. Like genuinely go into yeah. Poland, you know, colourful and lively and even the most out of the blue fucking random little villages 
Vaitano was literally the most random out of the way village, um, or town, sorry. And the train links between Tarnov and Krakow were fucking 10 times better than Merthyr to Cardiff. And people in Merthyr would give Poland shit. It's in our Poland's yeah, exactly. third world country. Yeah. It, it blew my mind. It absolutely yeah. blew my mind. I think as far as like the Welsh thing as well, and like, you know, the Welsh nationalism and appreciating where you're from, I think going to all these countries and kind of having to explain, you know, well, well, like, especially in like in Europe and stuff like that, like in France and like, you explain where Wales is and you explain your culture and there's like this kind of cultural exchange going on. And like in Cornwall as well, you know what I mean? Like you said, like you, you understood more about Wales, like leaving it and learning about Cornish stuff than like staying there your entire life, you know what I mean? It's weird, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. It's just really strange. You know, you become more, I know what you guys' experience have been going to England or studying in England, you know, but I found with me, I didn't really think of myself properly. I didn't think of myself as having an accent, or I didn't really think of myself strongly as Welsh until I went to uni, in which case it's slapped in your face every single day you're there. And yeah, you, you become extremely well-versed in it, um, in, in terms of your own sort of Welshness, I guess. And you're not even like your own Welshness, your own working class Welshness. Mm. Mm. When I was at uni, I definitely, I think a lot of people have this where you just kind of become the Welsh person whether whether you were aware of that before or not because like yeah. my family's Irish my family's you know Irish immigrants who live in Wales so I'm Welsh and Irish um and yeah I don't have a very strong accent um compared to most Welsh people um and then you go to England and it's like you're the Welsh person you have a Welsh accent it's like oh okay um and it's like of course you're not ashamed of that <laughs> anything but yeah if you don't you know when I went to uni I wasn't Welsh nationalist at all I probably would have thought it was kind of you know backwards or you know because there's that element like especially when we look at kind of the more right wing of the independence movement and the complaints mm -hmm. we put them I think that, that was probably you know the more reactionary idea that I, I had of it beforehand it's all about cosplaying being a England dude and everything oh yeah yeah running, <laughs> running around in fucking chain mail but I think you're right yeah. because we had like a similar view of it being like independence for independence sake where it's not really you know for improving people's lives and I guess because I don't know partly because there are people who you know do pretty much just want that yeah. um, because otherwise it's socialism um, but <laughs> but also I think I I couldn't necessarily see nationalist movements as having the ability to improve people's lives um which is you know something that's good to realize we've got to think about places like cuba and stuff isn't it like that wasn't yeah. a socialist movement to start with cuba was like a nationalist movement Absolutely. and then like he was like he was like a social democrat i think you look at the early yeah. videos of castro and he's like yeah we want a free kind of you know free press free elections and all that shit and just even that pissed off America enough to actually radicalize, you know, <laughs> the Cubans. Yeah. Like they created that, you know what I mean? <laughs> Absolutely. You've got Castro, you've got Ho Chi Minh, you know, in the um the sort of uh, I think I'm I'm probably wrong in this, but the first declaration of independence for Vietnam, um, Ho Chi Minh modeled it on the uh, declaration of independence with USA. Mm. And he wrote to uh, US ambassadors seeking aid in uh, support in this independent country. 
and America immediately sided with France, which left an absolute bitter, bitter taste in Ho Chi Minh's mouth, considering he was such like a, I don't know what it's called, like a, not an Anglophile, what's the USA equivalent? Like he loved uh, American culture, he, like he, he lived in America for a while, you know, oh, wow. um, as like a cook, I think it was, um, and that pissed him off exponentially. But yeah, you know, that's the thing, people have this, um, people have the idea that nationalism is this, you know, right-wing, xenophobic sort of uh, pursuit The focus is more on, you know, I mean, it, and it can be, you know, it absolutely can yeah. be. The focus is on sort of, you know, ethnic purity and shit like that. When I say the nationalism we were exposing, the, nation, the nationalism of Castro and people like that. Um, it's it's we, about literally just improving, you know, that it's, it's using nationalism to kind of group everyone together to improve people's lives, isn't it? Absolutely. You know what I mean? How is that? I think uh, the catalyst for me actually joining uh, the Washington Grand Network definitely was the whole Corbyn fiasco and just like seeing that man just absolutely brought down <laughs> to like levels of just like, you know, I'd ask my friends and they'd just be like, oh, he's a terrorist, you know what I mean? And like, just like without even like fucking thinking about it, you know, like without objective thinking, just the media spouting that shit. And then like just realizing how absolutely terrified England is, you know what I mean? Like, I looked at some stats, like, Wales has voted Labour for, like, 100 years or something like that, and we've never actually gotten what we wanted unless England voted for it as well, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so I just I just came to this realisation, like, England is just, like, terrified beyond redemption at this point, and we're never going to get what we actually want <laughs> under this system that we have. Yeah. I think that, like, ties into what we were talking about nationalism as well because mm. you know English nationalism is a prime example of how harmful yeah. nationalism yeah. can be you know because a lot of it is is premised on bigotry more than anything and, and I, what I think, yeah. is not um and I think like you know especially within certain contexts like we were talking about Cuba their you know nationalist movement was really important because of the context of imperialism um and mm. and USA and I think in our context, breaking up the power that is Britain, you know, historically and currently, and what it represents, you know, is is a very powerful form of nationalism. That there's know, no there's no like yeah, and here, so there's no better middle finger than it to fucking <laughs> the horrible fucking hundreds of years of imperialism and death than destroying it from the ground up. Mm. The British state is the, the lost. Yeah, it is the last vestige of the British Empire. You know, it is the final remnant. You know, it is the final sort of fucking part of the call for me to just fucking hammer in. You know, by by breaking up the British uh, the British state, um, and ending that fucking uh, disaster of a 300, 400 years. You know, um, it'll do more to the the worldwide sort of revolutionary movement than a, a Britain that is mildly socially democratic um implementing a couple of nice reforms at home and then you know ritually sacrificing people across the third world yeah. you know for all the people who are still aware to the idea that britain can be saved in my opinion it's, it's just it's laughable they you know, want it to be like one of those scandinavian countries and and their form of you know quote, unquote socialism 
um, which is entirely, you know, they get all their wealth to do that, mm. you know, socialism at home from colonialism, past and present, which, you know, would be a very easy thing for Britain to do, and it wouldn't <laughs> be a good force for the world at all. I don't, I don't even think, you know, that's what Corbyn was, wasn't he? He was a social democrat. He was very mildly, you know, like, we, I don't think we, like, that's even impossible in my eyes at this point, too, I mean. Yeah. <laughs> he was compromised. You know? Yeah, yeah. Like at this point, I literally don't think we have any other choice than independence. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, Neil Kinnock betrayed every socialist bone in his body to appease the uh, the Middle Englander types, and he was absolutely fucking decimated in the press as this terrorist sympathising nutcase. Yeah, now he's Lord. Um, you know, Tony Blair got off fairly easy but i guess that's kind of handy when one of the major newspaper owners is the godfather to your son gordon brown got absolutely decimated for being well you know tony blair's right hand man ed Miliband got fucking decimated for eating a bacon sandwich um and for being jewish obviously when you know he was as far from a marxist as is possible considering his father's ralph Miliband. And Jeremy Corbyn got absolutely worse than any other fucking person since Tony Benn, I'd say. Absolutely fucking lambasted at every turn, not just by the fucking papers, but all the willing sort of fucking cronies, you know, especially people, the sort of blue tick liberals, but in particular, practically every fucking person in the British comedy scene happened to turn out to be a fucking, you know. Oh my God, gleeful like, fucking parrot of some headlines. That, that, that was like, yeah, yeah. Mm. That was such an eye-opener eye for me, just seeing like all these people who like, you know, deem themselves anti-establishment for so many years. And then suddenly the option comes up and it's like, oh, no, that, not that far. Come on now. You know what I mean? Oh, and yeah. then you just go through like all the shows that you liked as a kid, all the comedians mm-hmm. and stuff. You just go on the Wikipedia and look at the school that they went to and you're like, ah, oh, okay. They're all literally from the same group in Oxford, right? <laughs> oh, I mean, it's so frustrating because there are people like, um, was it um, Armando Iannucci and Chris Addison from the thick of it, you know, who spearheaded this sort of political satire of uh, the Tony Blair era, lambasting Corbyn into the fucking, into the dirt, you know, John Richardson, Frankie Boyle even, all the fucking Guardian lot, you know, they're all uh, peace and love and socialism until the actual opportunity comes and then they realize their class interests and they 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 stand fast with their class which isn't us which isn't ours you know for such a mild social democrat like corbyn and bernie sanders to get so fucking lambasted by everyone obviously shows through the level of rot and like they still is, go on know. about they still go on about corbynism these same blue tick <laughs> liberals who were talking about him the whole time are still talking about him because in the same In the same way that a lot of people in the US made a career about being anti-Trump, so many people in the UK who are like, you know, middle of the road, stand for nothing centrist, Mm -hmm. like made a career out of of being anti-Corbyn, essentially, and they're still talking (laughs) about it. Every time, like, your stomach goes like a percentage down on the poll, it's just like, you know, oh, what's he done now? Yeah, fucking Corbyn. (laughs) Yeah. What's the name of that bald guy? Which one? Uh, the the um, Andrew Adonis, Tony Blair's former um, 
he, he's Big definitely mouth. got one of those fucking anime fucking pillows of like Tony Blair. <laughs> he fucking loves him, don't he? Like he genuinely not isn't just. I'm sure he's just deliberately doing it to provoke people because he's literally like Tony Blair would make it. Tony Blair would fucking Absolutely. end this situation. He'd be like Tony Blair would fucking pulverize ISIS with his bare hands. <laughs> you know, Tony Blair would Honestly, fucking like... rise the fucking you know uh, rise the wages of people in this country with his fucking erect penis. You know, he's genuinely obsessive. <laughs> like he's actually obsessive. I've seen Tony Blair's haircut recently. He looks like a fucking supervillain. <laughs> no. <laughs> He's got like a weird, like, he's just grown it out and he just looks like, I don't know. Like he's gonna re- Yeah, flick back. He looks like he's going to represent oh. Sweden in like 1917 Eurovision. <laughs> oh my. Kind of but like... <laughs> yeah. It's going to be like, remember, remember cool Tony? Remember <laughs> our friend, cool Tony? He's back. He looks, yeah. He's better than ever. He's it's casual Tony. He was a cool fucking guy in the 90s, and now he's looked like, looking like fucking Howard Hughes, coming out there with, like, long fingernails and just, like, fucking a towel around his waist, just like Mr. Hugs from fucking Fallout. I, I, I think I read, just, like, just because just I, I found it funny, like, an uh, interview that Noel Gallagher did, and he was asking about the polit- he was asked about the political situation at the moment, and he was just like, oh, just bring Tony Blair in. He'll sort it all. It's like, seriously, man, 20 years later, you're still fucking banging. I don't know what the fuck happened behind those doors, but you, you're fucking loving it. Like, Noel Gallagher just really Jesus. fucking hates the Rockies. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's probably, yeah, actually, yeah. It would literally <laughs> wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> We're saying this as a true statement. <laughs> I'm going to issue a statement on Twitter, the Western Guard Network. Yeah, we think the Noel Gallagher hates the Rockies. <laughs> <laughs> like like literally like it was kind of a release that election because when you just absolutely disassociate yourself from all that Westminster bollocks that goes on yeah. and just all the obsession that people go on about like oh just wait five years and we'll get another chance and all that shit like all the stuff like all the breakdowns that's happening with Labour at the moment I don't give a shit you know what I mean I've, I I barely keep up with Westminster politics it's like you know, I don't care. I like Boris has done this horrible thing. I'm like, yeah, we fucking think, man. It's yeah. not a fucking shocker. Look at him. Yeah, I had a similar experience after the last election as well. Um, because like me and my housemate got drunk on the night of the election, and I don't really drink very often. Uh, because we were, you know, we were we were hopeful. We were having fun. We were we were doing a little drinking game. When the results came in, it was great. We'd gone to vote together before. You know, it was it was fun. And then just as the night got on, it got, you know, gradually worse and worse um, until we were like really drunk. And then, you know, Labour had lost and we were just like drunk and crying on each other. And it was terrible. And then like the next day I had the hangover and just this kind of like clarity of like, it's all fucked. It's not worth it anymore. You know, Um, like what is going to happen after this? Corbyn's going to have to step down as leader. There's, they're not going to let someone who's like him be leader ever again. You know? Uh, I, I think, it, yeah, it was the lack of, like, power, I think you feel. I just look at all this stuff happening across across the border and just, like, it was all out of your hands. And you actually have no control of your life. And I think so much of what we're doing is about getting back to the fucking ground and actually changing people's lives on a macro level because that's what you have to do, you know what I mean? You have to think globally and think locally at the same time. Absolutely. And I think like 
having faith in the Labour Party kind of opens you up to to seeing that more because when you're oh my God, yeah. Labour Party, you have so much faith in it that is honestly quite misplaced, you know, in, in what Labour supposedly stands for. Um, and you know, you see it all the time when like English political, you know, pundits talk about Wales and and how well Labour does in Wales, and you know, thinking. Howard Beckett talking about how whales have socialism because we have 20 mile per hour. <laughs> uh, yeah. And like that bullshit. And I'm like, okay, well then why why is everyone still so poor? You know, why is our infrastructure still so bad and all the and all the rest of it? Like it's not fucking socialism. And once you, you know, can kind of accept that that labor aren't gonna save you, then yeah, it all this stuff stops being so stressful. You don't care yeah. about the country stuff, you can use your energy. In your communities in a better way it's, it's, such, a, it's such a it's such a divergence i think it like it really is such a distraction from the actual important stuff in life in there it just fucking rots your brain because yeah. you think oh just these lovely people do everything for me they'll sort the country out do you know what i mean and once you realize that's not actually possible you can actually release yourself from those fucking chains and actually do stuff for yourself in there it's so masochistic for so much of the left or so-called left to, to put all their energy, all their absolute undivided focus into like, you know, well, if you just vote for this random minor union official, then, you know, when one step closer to socialism, if you just, um, if you vote for this MP who's slightly less shit than this Tory MP, then, you know, it stands people in good stead for actually, you know, so much focus on electoralism and continuously getting shit on, continuously, you know, not just the last five years or 10 years, the last hundred years um, of Labour being an actual, uh, you know, a physical existing party, you know, Muther, you know, where, where I'm from, we have had a Labour MP since Labour was a party. You know, Keir Hardy was our first Labour MP, um, one of the first Labour seats ever. You know, a hundred years of Muther voting solidly Labour. Only one election have they ever not voted Labour. And that was for an independent who, like four months previously, had been kicked out of the Labour Party, S.O. Davis. You know, that is literally the one exception. They've only ever voted for Labour. And Muther is one of the poorest areas in Wales, one of the poorest in Western Europe. You know, it is just the way it is. Um, and they always say, oh, next time, next time, you know, five years, exactly like you said, Tan, you know, five years later, um, if in five years vote for us, you know, and we'll change things. And they make all these grand promises every five years. And they do fuck all of them. And then five years later, they make the same promises again and say, no, this time we'll do it, we'll do it. And the levels, like, yeah. You can just, you, you like, you know, you just, you go up to your fucking local MP and it's just like, oh, you know, my fucking workman's hall is in tatters. You know, we need social, you know, services. We need youth centres. We need all these things. We need rail infrastructure. And it's just like, oh yeah, five years from now. Don't worry about it. You know, it's going to be, it's going to be seven, five years from now. Like, just wait that long, you know what I mean? Just wait that time. We're not going to do anything now. We're just going to put all our resources into our actions. No, sorry, I was going to say, I think, like, yeah, once you release yourself from that kind of five-year cycle, you can see the actual problems within the Labour Party as well. Like, that's one thing that's been kind of quite important for me is is realising, you know, problems that are kind of systemic to the Labour Party, but also that have kind of, grown and developed and also the way that like you know that they have bigoted mps and like 
like bigoted people who vote mm. for them and like they especially now you can see they're more and more appealing to that kind of like uh just right wing like tory voter oh. um and like there's you know the whole deal with anti-semitism and islamophobia oh, and you know just oh, constant and it's just like you know anti um and traveler um, oh, bigotry and that kind of thing and yeah just kind of realizing like oh okay maybe they maybe they're not actually gonna help everyone hmm. anyway so then you actually yeah. look at the history of the labor party and go actually when the fuck were you actually good like you know what i mean yeah. like, the majority of the mps were against the miners strike you know yeah. they fucking they were rabidly right-wing in the 60s and 70s closing down mines and shit like that yeah and it was like, okay, maybe for like two years in like nine, between 1948 and 1950, you were yeah. kind of radical. Even then you were doing imperialist bollocks across the, yeah. <laughs> the empire still fucking existed. And shit. <laughs> so like, so maybe for like, you got, you got to be there for like two years, but like our entire history of labor, you know what I mean? We're still living in this fucking myth that it's going to happen again. Yeah. You can only think of like a hard, like a small amount of socialist MPs throughout the entire history of Labour, like like real die-hard firebrand socialist MPs. Um, and of them, I genuinely, truthfully, I think more or less every single one of them that I can think of off the top of my head. This might just be biased in my my part, right? But every single one has been either an outlier in Labour or has been an outright just suspended from the party. So like Jeremy Corbyn and Iron Bevan, S.O. Yeah. Davis. You know, um, they're always punished. Yeah, actually, socialists. Mm. <laughs> and then once they stop being a threat, then they eulogize. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Tony yeah. Benn went from uh, being the most dangerous man in Britain to um, after we retired from politics, being the uh, the socialist grandfather of Britain and Britain's lost prime minister. Yeah. It's like, oh, you reckon that's gonna happen? Do you reckon that's gonna happen with Corbyn? Do you yeah. In like 10, 20 years, we're gonna be like, actually, he was a nice boy, wouldn't he? I do. I genuinely think in about 20 years, people are going to be like, listen, you know, he, he wasn't too bad. I mean, the day after, wasn't it? The day after the election, the BBC had been vilifying him as an anti-Semite for months prior and a terrorist sympathiser. And then literally, as soon as he lost the election, they were like, freedom fighter, Jeremy Corbyn, is always <laughs> on the side of the oppressed people. And it's like, oh my, it's like fucking hell, Jesus Christ, you know. Yeah. Laughable. Absolutely laughable. But then it was... I think in Satan Red, wouldn't it? You know, they will vilify these people until they are either hounded to their deaths um, or incapacitated in another way. And then as soon as they're not a threat, they made out to be these folk heroes and stripped of any revolutionary potential. Mm. Malcolm I think X. Corbyn, you know? what might happen is like, obviously you keep seeing his policies being enacted. Um, you know, everything from from, you know, trains to to broadband to i don't know what else four day work week um all the rest of it so i feel like yeah maybe 10 20 years they'll be like they they hounded him as as evil and then they started implementing his policies it's madness <laughs> um you know i feel like that might be an apple they take when they eulogize him not not of their own will though. I like like that's mm. the best thing about fucking Welsh Labour is like they nationalised the trains because nobody nobody else would fucking take them. Like you know, <laughs> they got forced into being socialist, like strong arm. Fucking for about an hour now. I think we can probably wrap it up. To be fair, um, did we talk about organising enough? <laughs> we can do a oh, next shit. one. <laughs>
<laughs> Thank you both for coming and talking about your experiences. It's been a pleasure. We will see you all for episode two, where we talk about organizing with the Welsh Underground Network. Thank you very much for listening. Take care. And yeah, see you soon. Thank you. Thank you.